This episode of Physically Spiritual will explore the healing potential latent in our faculties of memory and imagination. Welcome to Physically Spiritual. I've been amazed by how much growing physically healthier has changed my spiritual life. I am captivated with discovering the truth about my body and how it relates to my relationship with God. Physically Spiritual is my attempt to harmonize and share what I've discovered. I'm your host, Andrew Reinhardt. Mazani was a titaness and goddess of memory in the Greek pantheon. The modern word mnemonic comes from her name. In her myth, the god Zeus came to her in the form of a mortal shepherd, and he and Mnemosyne slept together for nine consecutive nights, conceiving the nine muses. These muses were called upon for inspiration and the ability to remember lines in performances and art. Mnemosyne also presided over a pool in Hades that was a counterpart to the river Lath. If dead souls would drink from the river Lath, they would not remember their past and then reincarnate and have another life. But if a dead soul were to drink from Mnemosyne's pool, they would retain their memories and we would be prevented from transmigrating back to life. This uh, interesting Greek myth points out this connection between new life and memory. New life and, and memory, really the ability to forget and the ability to have new life. Uh, some people just want to move on from their past. Uh, we even sometimes have Christian ways of expressing this. Expressions like putting your hand to the plow and not looking back. Lines like this are used as a way for Christians to just simply move on, that we convert to Christ and forget about everything bad that happened to our past. But is this really a Christian idea? Is this really what the Lord's calling us to in our conversion? Now, certainly there's a way we might wallow in our past or, or stay stuck and not move on. But I think actually forgetting, moving on without addressing the past isn't possible. There's something essential about remembering and our faith. The Hebrew word zikar was a verb for remembering, but it was also a word for man. It was essential to remember in the ancient Jewish faith, to remember God's covenant, to remember the works of the Lord. One of the commandments they received in the book of Deuteronomy was to tell the great stories and repeat the laws to their children. I think it's Deuteronomy chapter 6. So that the children could remember what the Lord had done. Both remember the plight, remember the bad that the people had experienced at the hands of the taskmasters in Egypt. But then also remember what the Lord did to bring them out of Egypt so they would remain connected to him. Personally, I don't think it's possible to truly forget. Our past continues to affect us even when we try to forget. If we can fully repress a memory from the past or blot out the pictures of something in the past, it still affects us. In the perennial philosophy of our church in the Western tradition, there's an idea of the internal and external senses 
these powers of the soul that correspond to our ability to experience the world around us. Our external senses correspond with our external sense of sight and taste and smell and feel, hearing. But we also have internal senses. This you might think of sort of like our modern idea of consciousness. These are our ability to remember things, our ability to imagine things. And we have a common sense. And what that does is it knits together our current sense experiences or the experiences we remember or imagine into one fluid stream of consciousness, one thought. So every one of our experiences is really a combination of what I'm currently experiencing, what I'm sensing, the content coming to me from the world around me, mixed with my imagination, right? What I imagine to be the case. You know, when, when, when we're in a room, uh, oftentimes we're comfortable, not just because of what we experience, but what we also, what we imagine to be there, but we can't experience what's on the other side of a chair or a table, what's behind a door or inside of a cabinet. And when something happens that reveals to us that what we imagined was the case isn't the case, we jump. Imagine if somebody bursts through the door or jumps out of a cabinet or, or hops up out from behind a piece of furniture. What our natural reaction is to jump. And that's our, our, our defense instinct, our instinct for survival kicking in in that moment. The reason we're surprised is because our consciousness is filling in those gaps. Our imagination is settling in that we think we know what's there, even though we can't see it. But that, that current experience is also affected by our past memories. Uh, I remember I was at a, um, at a gathering once in, in college and um, we were doing some kind of a, like a truth or dare kind of a thing. And someone was saying, you know, I bet you couldn't like scream this loud. Um, and so I, I did this sort of screeching scream <laughs> that they didn't think I would be able to do. Um, and I felt terrible afterwards because there was uh, one or two people in the room who, when the scream came out of my mouth, just broke down in tears. But the rest of the people in the room, while they were surprised by it, easily moved on. Uh, and I felt terribly guilty that I caused this, uh, this experience in those people. Um, but looking back, I pondered, you know, what's the difference? Why were some of the people terrified, shocked, um, but then overwhelmed by that? And why were others almost not affected at all? I think for some of the people in the room, there were, were memories that it connected to, right? It, it drew back to fear from the past. It connected back to maybe a traumatic experience or, or a scream that they heard when something bad happened in their life. So our, our experiences in the present are also formed by our memories in the past. Before I go deeper into the topic, I want to invite you all to consider supporting the show Physically Spiritual. Head over to physicallyspiritual.com to become a member of the Totus Tuus community. The Totus Tuus community are members uh, of the Awaken app who choose to uh, donate any dollar amount a month to produce the show. And at different giving levels, there's different kickbacks you get, like access to the full Ask Me Anything episodes, access to bonus content, access to the Awaken Nation, and much more. So head over to physicallyspiritual.com to uh, find out 
what you can get if you give to the show. If you want to get access to your bonus content or have a great experience of any of the content produced at Awaken Catholic, consider downloading the Awaken app. You can search for the Awaken app at the Google Play Store or the Apple App Store or go to theawakenapp.io to get the Awaken app. And as we are finishing out Lent, if you want to have something to just boost your Lent, to, to re-engage here in the last couple of weeks, to go even deeper as you approach Easter, consider checking out the Awaken Your Lent feature in the Awaken app. This uh, features daily meditations uh, from a priest, daily meditations on the scripture, and I'm doing a series of mind-body Catholic meditations called Restorative Meditations on Awaken Your Lent. There's two different kinds of memory that uh, scientists often talk about. The kind of memory that we all think of as memory is called explicit memory. This is memory with all of the sense content, memory with pictures, with smells, with, uh, with feelings, with, um, with tastes. These memories are explicit memories, but we also have implicit memories. These are memories that come with the emotions, that come with the, the passions attached to the sense experience, but for one reason or another, there is no sense content. There's no pictures, there's no sound, there's no taste, there's no smell. And this is typically the case for two reasons, because it's a memory that happened very early in life, in our, in our first, um, really kind of first three years of existence from the time we're conceived, the nine months in the womb, and, and roughly the first two years we're out of the womb. We really don't lay down explicit memories, but we do remember things. We learn things. We have implicit memories, and, and these are procedural memories, meaning uh, uh, kind of kinesthetic memories, how to do things, and then also emotional memories, how to react to certain things, who to trust, what to be afraid of, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. We also sometimes end up with implicit memories because we're overwhelmed if we're overwhelmed or traumatized, sometimes our brain will literally block out, repress the sense content um, in order to protect us, in order to survive. But the brain still remembers those things in an implicit form, meaning when things in the present remind us of those things from the past, we have a sort of pure emotional recall without all of the sense data, without all of the content. And this is one of the reasons why forgetting isn't really possible. Even if we do forget, quote unquote, the explicit memories, the implicit memories linger, meaning the feelings and emotions associated with the difficult experience stay in us and continue to affect us in the present when there are experiences that connect us to those things from the past. So on one hand, we're, we're sort of, uh, you might say, doomed or destined to never completely forget anything because the brain's a survival organ. So all of that content is logged away in order for us to survive uh, similar things in the future. Our brain's trying to anticipate what's around us to keep us safe. But on the other hand, our memories are not the accurate pure, perfect recordings of the past that we sometimes think they are. I had a full episode on season one of Physically Spiritual about memories, and I'll have that linked in the show notes if you want to go really deep into the science around this topic. But what we know for many reasons that our memories are very imperfect. There was a famous study done called a flash bulb study. And this is a study after some kind of very traumatic and shared 
event in a culture or society. You know, oftentimes people will reminisce, like, I remember exactly where I was and what I was doing when X happened or when Y happened, when, when the Challenger exploded or when 9-11 happened or when we declared war on this country or, or, or that terrible thing happened, that person died in our society. We're often most confident about these memories. But what they do in these flashbulb studies is immediately after the traumatic event, they'll interview a large group of people recording where they were, who they were with, uh, what happened, sort of the, the details. But then they also will record the emotions. What were you feeling? Uh, what, what was your experience in your body? What was your immediate emotional reaction to the situation? And then they'll come back to these people a year later, two years later, three years later, five years later, and they'll ask them the same questions again. So there was a famous flashbulb study, a large one done after the events of 9-11. And what they found is after only one year of time, only 63% of the respondents were able to accurately recall the details, right? The who they were with, the where they were, just sort of the, the raw facts of, where, of what their life was about when the event happened. And only 40% of the respondents could recall their emotions accurately. This was to the point where some of the, the people were so incredulous about the fact that they were confident that they remembered exactly where they were and what they felt, that the researchers would show them a video of their initial interview, and some of the respondents would claim that the video was fabricated. <laughs> But it showed irrefutable evidence that, in fact, they did not remember accurately, that the memory had been corrupted, had been lost to some extent. Or really what's happening is the brain is, is sort of mixing things together, connecting like things from our past in order to anticipate, create patterns to anticipate the future in order to keep us safe, in order to provide for our needs, in order to live and flourish in the world. We also know that our, our memories aren't reliable, especially during traumatic events. I'll link an article in the show notes, but there was also an episode on trauma and memory earlier in season three of Physically Spiritual. So I'll have both of those links in the show notes. But we know that when somebody's going through a traumatic and difficult event, that the memory is fragmented, that there are, are parts of the experience that, that the brain uh, intentionally rep represses, but then also the memory is sort of broken into pieces, and sometimes only recalled in part. We know the implicit aspects of that memory are intact, the feelings and emotions associated with it, but the brain's ability to recall it accurate is, also, is uh, oftentimes very uh, diminished in these cases. So like I said, what's our brain really trying to do? Our brain's trying to, to help us survive. It's trying to help us flourish, to, to find needs, right? To find social connection, food, rest, safety, shelter, and also to be able to anticipate the next time something bad is going to happen to us, that we're able to respond immediately and exactly as we need to. But in this effort to keep us safe, which is, is oftentimes um, sort of hardwired with the environments that our ancestors adapted to live in, which don't always match the environments that we live in now. Uh, these, uh, these patterns that our brain lays down can be 
unhelpful in the present. We can react in a way that sort of might say physically dishonest. Something happens and we get too worked up about it, too fearful about it, too anxious about it, too depressed about it. And our brain actually will sort of create a default state, meaning it's not what we feel all the time, but it's when we're in neutral, there'll be sort of a gravity into a certain emotional posture. And neurologists have discovered that that there are only, um, although there, there's a huge variety of emotional experiences in, in our consciousness and our awareness, there's only certain emotional experiences that are hardwired into the brain. And then from these sort of hardwired um, physiological states, our consciousness then branches out into all different kinds of emotional experiences in our consciousness. Only one of these hardwired pathways is what you might say positive. Neurologists just simply call it the experience of joy. Um, I would I would also include in that an experience of peace. We could call joy high energy peace, and we could call peace low energy joy. So we have this kind of hardwiring for the state of joy of peace. But then the other um, emotions, what. Um, those thinkers in, in the, the life model circles called the big six emotions. These are fear, anger, sadness, shame, disgust, and hopeless despair. Part of the early development in childhood of the first couple years is, is the, the gradual development of our brain based on our experiences and inputs we get from our environment. This is happening when we're when our mother's womb, but then continues on when we're born. And the emotions we have based on the social interactions we have with our primary caregivers, right? This this experience we often call attachment, uh, goes to to develop a certain default pattern in our brain. So we'll end up with a certain one of these seven emotional states that becomes our hardwired. Um, our hardwired place that we're drawn to, kind of our, our neutral. Could be joy or peace. It could also be fear, which could be translated as an experience of like anxiety. It could be anger, right? Sort of a frustration and agitation, a fight kind of state. It could be sadness, which would be sort of like a depression. It could be an experience of shame, something that I'm not okay, right? People aren't going to love me. It could be a disgust. Uh, you know, this would be a pretty strong experience. Or same way with hopeless despair. This would be a very kind of strong experience of depression that would come along with this. So we all have sort of a, a default experience that comes from these this early experience, this early early memory. So what can we do about it? Are we just sort of condemned by our past? Do these early experiences just set us in a trajectory that we're stuck in? I believe strongly the answer isn't forgetting the memories. It's not just moving on and not addressing them. Our mind has the wonderful ability to renegotiate our memories. All of our memories are sort of like amalgams. It's a mix, a mix of what actually happened what we thought happened, right? What was in our imagination 
And it's also mixed with previous experiences that are similar. So every one of our memories is an amalgam, meaning our memory isn't a set thing from our past that we can never change. But every memory is sort of a living experience that continues to accumulate data as we go through our life. So this gives us the, the wonderful possibility of doing what we might call renegotiating a memory. This means that we can introduce new emotional content into these memory amalgams from our past. All right, let's shift over now and talk just a little bit about our faculty of imagination. This is from Dan Siegel in his book, Mindsight. He says, one of the key practical lessons of modern neuroscience is that the power to direct our attention has within it the power to shape our brain's firing patterns, as well as the power to shape the architecture of the brain itself. So this is, is so hopeful that our, the architecture of our brain is not just set by our early life experiences, but what we choose to direct our attention to, what we choose to focus on, what we choose to think about as adults continues to shape the firing patterns of our brain and the architecture of our brain. We can change our default setting. And I want to propose to you that part of conversion is God lovingly being involved in this reshaping of our neural architecture and our default emotions. We can participate in this work of God in a powerful way with the power of our imagination. This earliest developing part of our brain, some people call it uh, the reptilian brain um, because it's a, a, a part of our neurofunctioning we have in common with reptiles. This, this oldest part of our brain doesn't distinguish well between what we're sensing, what we're remembering, and what we're imagining. Dr. Antonio Damasio, uh, in an article he wrote in Science, based on his experiments, made this claim, that brain scans showed that recalling an emotional event from the past causes us to actually re-experience the sensations felt during the original event. Meaning this stuff in our internal senses causes us to experience it also as if we're experiencing it in our external senses again. So by recalling something in our memory or imagination or creating something in our imagination, we actually create passions around that, attractions and repulsions to it. Our sense appetite responds and reacts to the stuff in our internal senses as well as the stuff in our external senses. So when we enter into this place of remembering and imagining, you might say this is also just our faculty, our ability to meditate as Christians. When we enter this meditation space, we need to enter into it with God. We call on God. We call on the Holy Spirit to enter into it with us. We're not going into our minds alone. We're not traipsing around our memories alone. We're going in with God. It's also wise if you have 
particularly difficult experiences or, or traumas to enter in with other people, the support of a loving partner, of a professional counselor. Um, so I'll put that caveat in there too. But there's different ways of entering into the past. And, and I'm pulling these insights out from the life model and I'll link um, their materials in the show notes one, to give them credit, but also um, so that you can find and go deeper in this topic if you want. One way of going into our past, you might think of it as going in and sitting in the thorns, going in and sitting in the thorns. Remember, recalling these memories creates the emotions that came along with these memories. So if we, if we just plainly recall difficult things from the past, we can experience a re-traumatization meaning we literally make it worse by feeling it again. So we don't recommend sitting in the thorns. And if you do that, if you are commonly sort of ruminating, going back, thinking again and again, your mind kind of can get in this kind of a cycle of remembering something over and over again, you're sitting in the thorns. I would recommend you find a way to break that pattern, break that cycle. One of the ways to do this is to enter into what's called your appreciation seat. There's a deep connection between appreciation and gratitude and joy and peace. By entering into gratitude, we can stimulate states of joy and peace uh, in our experience. And there's a lot of connection with this. Uh, I have a whole episode on Thanksgiving from season one. I'll link in the show notes. So in the appreciation seat, we recall experiences of the past that have uh, just a strong felt sense of gratitude. You might recall the, the birth of a child or, or a great event, the day of your ordination or the day of your marriage. You might recall uh, receiving a wonderful gift from somebody or a time that you got uh, just a really strong compliment that struck you deeply. And you try to spend some time just sitting with that appreciation memory, sitting with that felt sense of gratitude. Um, they recommend trying to work up to doing that for five minutes. If you might have like a catalog of gratitude memories, and then you'll recall one of them, imagine it strongly in your mind and sit in that and, and allow your body to have that felt sense of gratitude again. You'll probably get distracted after 30 seconds or a minute, but then when you get distracted, just go on to the next gratitude memory you have in your catalog. Sit in that gratitude for a while, allow your body to react to it, feel the appreciation and they propose that by doing this sort of five minutes of sitting in gratitude for a month or two months, we can begin to reset that default state in our brain. We could slowly shift from a state of fear or sadness or anger into a default setting of joy or peace. All right, another seat we can enter into is what's called an interactive memory seat. So this is going back into our past and recalling the good things God has done for us. Maybe memories of your conversion, memories of profound spiritual experiences, prayers or contemplative experiences from your past. Maybe miracles that you've witnessed uh, or that have happened to you or ways that God has answered your prayers. So this is, this is entering your mind with your imagination and going back to those memories where you felt most connected with God and then sitting with God in that space again and then talking to God and relating to God about it. This continues that 
sort of physiological benefit of sitting in, in your gratitude, of cultivating joy and peace in your brain, but it also creates an emotional attunement to God, a relational kind of love space with God. And this space of connection, the space of attunement with God, um, which um, these people call Emmanuel prayer. Emmanuel means God with us. It's a kind of a prayer that's a felt experience of having God with us or eyesight and experience of uh, having uh, an emotional connection with God in the present. They'll call this being on the top of the hill, a hilltop experience of peace and joy. So finally, from this place of being on top of the hill, of being emotionally connected to God, being in a physiological state of joy and peace, we can reapproach those difficult memories, those places of trauma, those places of pain. Now, when we're doing this, we need to stay connected to our appreciation and our, and our interactive kind of connection with God. So you need to be sort of aware of if you fall off the hill, meaning you start entering into the thorns of that difficult memory. Um, so if you do start to enter into the thorns again, the emotional experience of the pain, you want to come back out of it. Enter back into the gratitude. Enter back into that interactive place of connection, of Emmanuel prayer, and get reconnected, uh, re-emotionally uh, regulated by God in the joy of our memories. And then you can go back into the difficult experience again. It's so important to have our minds synchronized with God when we enter into these pain memories. And by doing this, what we're doing is we're, uh, we're introducing that emotional state of joy, that emotional state of peace, the presence of God, the co-regulation of God's divine presence through the gift of faith into that memory of trauma, into that memory of pain. And by doing this, we're slowly renegotiating that experience, inserting a different emotion into it so that when it's recalled, we have a different experience in the present. So this is, this is a process, though, that I would encourage you to be cautious with. Um, if you do enter into that difficult memory and you find yourself triggered immediately, it's a sign that you should probably seek some kind of professional help, someone that can sit with you while you renegotiate the memory, someone who can skillfully um, walk with you into that space of developing skills of, of um, self-regulation, of emotional attunement, and then um, help you skillfully um, titrate into that memory, slowly little bit by little bit, enter into that memory uh, and renegotiate it. So I want to end with a proposal of another way we can use these beautiful powers of memory and imagination uh, to enter into a deeper relationship with God and heal. And this is to sit in images of God's love from the scriptures. Sit with images of God's love from the scriptures. Stories and interactions of, of Jesus healing people of Jesus loving people, of Jesus forgiving people, we can place ourselves in the story as that person receiving the healing, receiving the forgiveness, receiving the connection with Jesus. We might also take beautiful images of God's love and, and providence from the Old Testament, uh, the beautiful images of the prophets while the people are in exile of God's love and care and promises of, of being restored. And we can enter into those images with our imagination.
And the amazing thing is when we do this, if we can vividly imagine what's in the scripture, our body reacts as if it's actually happening to us. They're actual memories, actual places of experience of God's love, of God's presence, of God's peace. And by doing this, we, we build attunement with God. We build attachment with God. We build an emotional, true relationship with God. And in this, calling on the Holy Spirit and allowing God to interact with us as if he's real because he is, as if he's present because he is, you'll notice that God will enter himself into the story. It isn't just an experience that we conjure up with our minds, but it becomes a story that we co-author with God. That the Holy Spirit uh, subtly enters into the scene. You might notice something different. You might feel something different. You might hear a word. The story kind of comes alive, kind of like when you're reading a book. And the story is just sort of happening in your imagination. Uh, so God will enter into that space with you. And, and, and I believe strongly in that space, God will love you. Uh, so listeners, I would encourage you... Um, if you are uh, just feeling stuck in your present, if you're entering uh, entering into maybe repeating unhealthy patterns from the past, if you have trauma, anxiety, depression, uh, to consider experimenting with some of these tools um, to see that by the, the wonderful powers that God has given us in our memory and imagination and by the gifts of grace that God gives us in the sacraments and through our faith, uh, that we can uh, with God's help, renegotiate these memories, that we don't forget the past, but that the past is redeemed. And through this, we can begin to have an experience of heaven on earth, that the kingdom of God is at hand. Thank you so much for being a part of Physically Spiritual. Every moment of the show you've watched, know that I'm grateful that you've given your time to this. I'm so passionate about the message that I'm trying to share, and I'm excited about the future of the show. So thank you for every like, every view, every watch, every follow, every comment, every rating you give in the show. And a special thank you to all you that are already members of the Awakened Nation. So thanks again for supporting the show.